Well, hello and welcome to the Mariner. It's uh, Wednesday. It's Wednesday, the eighteenth of November. If I'm, I've got a bit of a complicated situation going on here. I'm trying to get like more technical and smarter, and I've got uh, a desk now that has two computers on it, which means I have two keyboards and two mice, and uh, a lot of complication has ensued. Even though it looks amazing, I, I fear that it's actually uh, half as efficient as it was before. So just trying to find out what the date was was then got me freaking out like a meerkat on crack trying to work out what's going on. Okay, so it's the 18th. I have confirmed it's the 18th of November. Um, I think we're going to get back to just having a chat. I've been doing some pretty structured shows recently. We did an interview. We did a gear review and we did a, uh, what was the other one? Oh, me, me doing the book, Joshua Slocum. I'd be very interested to hear what your thoughts were with those. I enjoyed doing the interview with Ryan, but um, uh, had a lot to learn about uh, doing the audio. I'd always kind of pushed it back because I knew, oh, like, how is this going to go? Um, yeah, <laughs> managed to come out of it with uh, half the audio messed up. So it was great to hear from him, but I think you heard very little of me. Um, doing the gear review, the Team O Back Toe Life Jacket, I got a lot of good responses from that. And remember, you can always email me at csmthemariner at gmail.com. That's csmthemariner at gmail.com. Oh, see, look, all these computers now, they're all like talking to me. I've got to remember to shut them up. Um, the, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been really good getting people's responses, but I do know because I haven't been sort of saying, Hey, you know, write to me. Um, not so many people have been writing to me. I'm getting lonely. Like I'm, I'm in a, uh, you know, an isolated place up here in Nova Scotia. You got to write to me and then tell me what's going on in your neck of the woods. Um, and then we can shape this a little bit towards what you want. But the response I got about the Timo life jacket seemed to be a uh, very positive. A lot of people are already using them. Um, Someone was pointing out to me that uh, Prince William's wife, what's she called? I get confused what all these royals are called now, but uh, I feel like she the Duchess of Cambridgeshire. <laughs> Is that right? I could use one of these computers to answer the question, but let's just go old school, like pre-Google. Like I'm going to guess that's what she's called. But anyway, they were wearing Timo life jackets when they're out on uh, boats. So if it's good enough for royalty, it's got to be good enough for the rest of us. And um I got to say, yeah, I that uh, that podcast was very easy to make because uh, that's a brilliant um, that's a brilliant product. So I'm glad that we got good response on that. Next week, uh, I'm going to be doing one which is on Helly Hansen uh, Oceanware Gear, uh, the A Gear. I always get a little bit confused how you say this. the The name of that product is uh, A E G I R. How, how do you say that? Why, where did they come up with these names? I have no idea. I, maybe I should look up on one of these computers what an A-gear is. Maybe we should do that. Maybe if you, if, I don't know if you listen to the uh, Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, it's one of my favorites. And uh, it's both hugely inspiring and uh, hugely petrifying as a new podcaster to look at someone like Joe Rogan who's um, you know got tens of millions of downloads. And I look at my own and go, oh. But I do have some good news on that. Um, we're getting about 500 downloads in the first week of the uh, of each new edition going out. Since I did the one about the Pride of Nova Scotia, which we're going to talk about in a second, um, the the numbers have been going up and up. I've been putting it across more of the Facebook um, sailing groups that I'm part of, and uh, we got about. I don't know how, we can't say how many we got in a month because we haven't really got to a month yet, but we're getting like 500, 600 downloads, which is awesome. And I understand that puts me in at least the top 50% of podcasts. Did you know this? Podcast is like a whole 
thing and completely different from uh, YouTube and completely different from any other um, social media network or media platform that I've been involved in. Uh, from what I understand, there's about 750,000 active podcasts in the world. And uh, it says on the figures that I uh, looked at that the people that listen to podcasts are smarter, richer, and more beautiful. Now, I added one of those in, and you can just decide which one I made up. But uh, supposedly, like, we're, we're the amazing people because we like listening to other humans. I don't know what that is. But, uh, yeah, the... Um, if you get over like 140 downloads of your podcast in the thir first 30 days, that already puts you in the top 50%. So the next big landmark, I think, was like 1,500 downloads in the first 30 days, and then that puts you in like the top 20% or something like that. So it's a really interesting field to be part of. Still, 750,000 active podcasts a lot, but it's cool to think that what you're doing is kind of getting somewhere. And uh, I do love uh, hearing from people and uh, and then being able to shape this a little bit more in the way that uh, people want it to go. So, uh, see, look, if I'm not talking about a specific thing, it's just all tangents. Now I can't remember what we were talking about. Um, well, yeah, the ones that I've done, lots more people are uh, getting interested in the different kind of uh, formats. If you've got an opinion on what you're enjoying, then tell me. And... Uh, yes, that's right. Now, who was that that wrote to me? Yes, yes. What's his name? We're going to pick this one out, and then anybody that knows him, we're going to all point at him. Um, <laughs> oh, I can't find the email now. That'd be way too complicated. But someone was saying, change the music at the beginning and the end of this uh, podcast. Huh? I could do. I don't know. I'm always a little bit nervous with this stuff. It's like, you know what? Like we've been doing it for 23 episodes now. Here's the deal. If someone's got a really good option of something else that can go there, I am open to it. But um, I do like a little bit of Hammond organ. I've got to say, there's a little bit of bit of B3 in there. I'm not a musician, but um, I'm not an artist either. Um, you know, I'm not really anything, but I've got lots of opinions. So there, there we go. So my opinion is it's not too bad. We'll ever see if anybody else agrees. Um... Okay, so what are we going to talk about in this one? There is actually some kind of like structure here. It's not just me rambling as always. Um, firstly, the biggest thing everyone asking me about is what's happening with uh, the Pride of Nova Scotia. So this is the West About Around the World uh, campaign. I took a big, uh, what's the word? I took a big chance getting going with it this summer because I knew that uh, it was going to be difficult to raise a sponsorship. Sponsorship and sailing is something which is look look around look in the world uh all of the big offshore sailing races are kind of slowly uh withering and and dying we've got the Vendée globe going on now which we're going to talk about a little bit more um it's awesome but after that it it sort of <laughs> peters off really quickly there's not much going on uh we have the ocean globe race which spartan ocean racing as a company is going to be putting at least one boat into in 2023 i'm excited about that I had a good giggle this morning looking at the notice of race for the, what's it called? The Great Cape Race, I think it was called. It, it Initially, it was put to me by uh, a friend from Hong Kong, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. What's this? Yeah, the Great Cape Race. I had a look at the notice of race, and um, to give you an idea, if you enter something like the Barcelona World Race or the Velux Five Oceans Race, I don't think I know the actual figures for Vendée Globe, but I, I think... My little monkey accountant is telling me it's it's about 40,000, which is all the ones that have entered, all the ones I've done. It's about 40,000 euros, 50,000 euros, somewhere around there is the amount. And you think like the Vendée Globe, 
they've got fleet sponsors, they've got, you know, all sorts of organizations and corporations helping them out. And then they've got like 40 or 50,000 euros coming in from 33 different competitors. There's money enough to put on a great uh, race village and to, you know, get all the people that need to be part of the race authority and the media team. And there's plenty of money there. So 40 to 50,000 euros is roughly where you're looking to enter a boat, a 60 foot boat in an offshore round the world race. The Great Cape race, I'm not sure like if I had the binoculars around the wrong way when I was reading this, but this is what I read. <laughs> it's to enter the race. It's a uh, minimum size of boat is 60 foot. So, you know, that's going to be your minimum entry fee and it's 200,000 euros plus 3,000 euros times the length overall of the boat. <laughs> okay, so like Challenger, you have to include, for length overall, you have to include the, the bowsprit. So um, it's uh, 200,000 uh, plus 72 foot, which is how long Challenger is. She's a Whitbread 60, but she's uh, 60 foot on the waterline, and then there's all sorts of overhangs and bowsprit. So let's just have a seat. Hey, Google, what's 3,000 times 72? Two hundred sixteen thousand. So it's going to be uh, four hundred sixteen thousand euros. Hey Google, what's four hundred sixteen thousand euros in U.S. dollars? Oh. I don't think he can believe it either. So it's half a million dollars U.S. to enter. So that's going to be like a hard no from me. <laughs> we could enter 10 boats in other races or literally pay to charter. You could charter uh, an open 60 and, and be in the Vendee Globe for that kind of money. So um, I don't know very much about the Cape, Great Cape Race. I know that their website is uh, three pages. So I'm excited to see how that develops. It's a race that's supposedly going on my birthday, actually, the 3rd of October next year. Um, but with only, well, less than a year to go, they've got three pages on their website and they want half a million dollars to enter. Hmm. I'm looking at the Ocean Globe race. They've got like 30-odd competitors who are signed up and, and good to go. They've got a great uh, f sort of functionality in the web page and they've got uh, a race committee that have, have done a race before. So I think my money's on that one at the moment. But um, okay, so what's happening with uh, Nova Scotia uh, and the, the, the boat here going west about? I knew it was a big risk getting involved in it because of sponsorship, because of offshore sailing. I knew that um, there was a possibility perhaps that the short time span would create like a jeopardy, which might push uh, a, a sponsor into making a, a quick choice and going for it. Um, we have had success, but I cannot go right now. Let me, let me, let me, let me qualify that. We have actually got a very, very generous offer for sponsorship inside the last two weeks um, from an individual who said, look, I see that you need to pay for the rigging on the boat. And remember, the rigging on the boat is, uh, let me, what's the bill? It's like 55,000 euros, okay? So you're talking, it's in, in Canada where I am now. Sorry, we're dancing around through all these different currencies. But where I'm in Canada, I know it's 80,000 uh, Canadian dollars. So he said, I'll put a third of it down if you've got two other people that will come in and help out for the other two thirds. Now, he came in and did that at the very last minute, which is awesome, but it's created uh, an interesting situation where it's like, okay, if we get this final bill and we divide it up, actually, 
I think that as Spartan gets going, going into uh, 2021, Spartan can probably pay a third of this. And if we can get the GoFundMe campaign, which I think I pegged it for, I think at the moment we've got like f nearly five grand. No, is that right? I think we've got like four grand out of uh, 35,000 we're asking for. So the GoFundMe is actually the place where that final amount of money could be brought together or corporate sponsorship or other individuals or, or whatever. But suddenly that final bill, and it is literally the final bill, the rigging has been, uh, one third of it's been sorted out. Spartan can pay one third of it if we've got a little bit more time to to do this. And that leads another third to be found. 26,000 uh, Canadian dollars is the kind of amount that you can imagine putting together over a period of time. Um, this uh, offer is unbelievably generous and it comes from an individual who's uh one of the clients from spartan he's a fantastic guy who's already uh been such a support for me i've had a quite a difficult year personally he's been there all the way through and uh and i really appreciate this offer i think his offer is realistic as well um this is not some big corporation like swooping in with a hundred thousand dollars to solve a problem it's like hey I believe in you. I think that you can get through this. I'm going to give you some of the, the parts of the puzzle. You go and find the other parts of the puzzle. It's not exactly what I wanted. What I wanted, of course, was to be like on the water now and be just behind the Vendee fleet and all that stuff we talked about. But it hasn't worked out that way. But you know what we did achieve? This summer, with the help of uh, my cousin Mike, hi Mike, and uh, and Ryan here, and Ken, and, uh, and all of us working hard together, the boat, the Pride of Nova Scotia, is sitting down there at the morning. In fact, I literally can look out the window here and I can see the mast, which is pretty awesome. Um, she's basically ready to go. It's completely awesome. Like uh, the engine's completely overhauled, the ballast system's overhauled, the electronics are overhauled, all new paint inside, all the bunks sorted out, the the, the ballast control room all painted clean and lovely. Um, like she's good. She's she's fantastic. She needs that rigging and she needs a rope. And we know what the bill is. We know we've got a third of it. We know we've got a bit more time. We know Spartan can pay a third of it. So we've got like a third, 26,000 to go. It's not exactly what I wanted, but one of the characteristics of tenacity in pursuit is that you get pushed back and then you have to find another way. Like I'm not uh, ashamed or something that we tried and didn't make it. We'll just go and do it next year. But having been dealt these lemons... Uh, what do we do? Okay, let's make lemonade. So what's the benefits? The benefits are I'm going to have a lot longer period of time to get to know the boat. I will say like there was one point during oh, like about a month ago, we were talking about how much fuel. We were just at the point there of like this may or may not happen. If we get this rigging amount of money, we can order the rigging. And I, um, uh, we were talking about like how much fuel I'd have to take. And if I took the numbers, which were um, generated when I was on board Spartan, my last open 60 going solo around the world, I would need 540 liters of fuel to go around the world, looking at the fact that it could take 150 days. You know, you've got to add on some, like you can't say, well, it's going to take 120 days. If it doesn't, you've got a big problem. So he said 150 days gives me lots of safety. Um, I would need to take 540 liters. You know, that's half a ton of fuel. But then we started calculating down, well, hang on, you know, that other boat had this kind of lights and you were using this kind of inverter and that boat drew a lot more power than this boat does. And I'm not sure exactly how the solar cells are going to work out. And we haven't got the uh, uh, information yet on how the solar cells and the batteries. And the... so I started realizing like, you know what, the number could be as low as 150 liters and it could be as high as 540 liters. And I don't know which one it is. And I realized even then when there was still an opportunity to make this all happen, I thought, 
mm, I don't I don't know enough about this boat to to like really be certain going onto the water. Like, what would you do if um if you were out on the ocean and you realized you had way too much fuel to the tune of like 300 liters, 400 liters too much, uh, and you're on a boat which weighs nine tons. Don't think it. I thought it. I thought just take loads of detergent with me and chuck it in the ocean. But that is not where we're at anymore, people. That wouldn't happen. So what would happen is that you would be driving around with 400 liters of fuel on board that you don't use. Like that's not exactly uh, competitive, is it? So I think there's a benefit there. I get to learn the boat a lot more. We get to shake the boat down and kind of uh, see if there's any little issues with it. Um, we get to go and race the boat. That um, this boat is going to be going and doing the Regatta del Sol al Sol down in uh, um, Fort Lauderdale. Sorry, Fort Lauderdale down in Florida goes from St. Petersburg and goes down to Mexico. It was one of the events that we had to postpone. Well, it was postponed and then we postponed it in our schedule uh, from 2020. We are hoping, everybody fingers crossed, that that event is on. It's in April of next year. So we're really hoping that that um, uh, is one of the events that will just sneak in and be able to go. Um, it's looking at the moment like uh, it, it shouldn't be a problem, but but who knows? But the first event that this boat needs to do is the Regatta del Sol al Sol in April. And then the boat will sail up from uh, Florida back to Nova Scotia. And then the rest of the season will be, um, you know, uh, going across the Atlantic and going to the Fastnet and things. So we're going to have an opportunity to sail the boat, to get to know the boat, to get faster got a little bit more time maybe there's something else i could do you know i was going to take my old mainsail but if we get a new mainsail on the boat man i'd be super happy that would be completely awesome and and just take that worry that one remaining worry out of it so i'm a bit pushed back i gotta say um but 2021 is still 100 years of the blue nose here in nova scotia i'm still super excited to get out there and do something for the province maybe there's a way of activating this more before I go, actually sailing in Halifax Harbor, sailing up and down the Nova Scotia coast, go down to Annapolis, go to Boston, kind of go and spread the word a little bit um, and make it better. This is the situation we're in. Now we've got to accept it and we've got to move forward in the best way we can. I wanted to go. I couldn't go. We didn't have the money. We got really close. We got a fantastic boat and it didn't quite work out. Am I not going to go ever? No. <laughs> now I've got a year to get ready and, you know, Maybe that kind of a year to get going on a boat that's already like now in great condition. Maybe that is a little bit more realistic, but you got to try these things, right? I thought perhaps maybe there might be an opportunity for someone to say to like swoop in and save the day. But COVID has been really difficult. It's been really hard from a lot of companies from the bottom to the top of the company. And um, it just wasn't there right now, but uh, it doesn't mean it's over. And uh, I'll be doing some more uh, YouTube stuff very, very soon uh, to show you around the boat, show you what's going on. There's still lots of little things to do. It's a boat, like, you know, boats are constantly trying to sink to the bottom of the ocean. And our job is to try and stop them getting to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, so there's always gonna be day-to-day -day stuff that needs doing, and I can, I can take you along and look at that. So um, the Pride of Nova Scotia, sitting on the mooring, looking very good. Uh, as I said in the podcast I did the other day about Joshua Slocum, um, I can see through the trees now here at my house uh, with all the leaves down. And that means I can actually see her down on the water, which is uh, it's pretty awesome. Okay, what's next? Now, I would, just before you think that I've got myself all organized and I've got uh, notes, they are written on the back of an envelope. Uh, <laughs> some bill that's been sent to me has now got uh, the running list for this podcast written on it. So yeah, Nova Scotia and uh, and the Pride of Nova Scotia, we know what's going on there now. 
what I hinted at and what is exciting, which is very positive, is that Spartan Ocean Racing basically shut up shop in like the first couple of days of March. The last event we did was the Heineken Regatta. We chartered the Volvo 65 sailing Poland and uh, a group of you went out and uh, sailed on that boat. And I got a very good result in that race, which was awesome uh, under the name Nova Scotia One, which was even more cool. Um, but since then with COVID, we just had to like put everything on hold. So just literally yesterday, I started talking to Sitska from Sail Race Crew, an excellent website. You should go and have a look at that. If you're interested in doing chartering with Spartan or any other race boats or cruising boats or anything else, check out Sail Race Crew. Um, they can sort you out. Um, Sitska and I work together and Sitska does all of the administration and the, uh, the communication with, uh, with the clients for Spartan, her company specializes in that, and it's been a really fantastic thing to to find her and to get um, her company on board. The problem with this kind of sailing that I do is, like, look at it from my point of view. I spend all this time out in the water uh, learning all these things about sailing. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> so then I think, hey, you know what? I'll get a boat, and then some people will want to come on the boat sailing with me, and that's a business, right? No. Uh, what I've learned since starting Spartan five years ago is that whatever business you're looking to get involved in, the key thing is to know about business and then have an interest in the other thing. It is a disastrous situation. <laughs> well, not disastrous, but it's a difficult situation if you have lots of knowledge about the thing that you're passionate about and then you think you're going to learn about business. That is a long uphill slope, or as a friend of mine said, a greased pig, pig that you're attempting to ride. So, um, Spartan, as we go into 2021 now, we have the benefit of uh, Sitzka's company handling all the admin and the paperwork and the payments and all that stuff that makes that easy. And then Spartan does what Spartan should do, which is the sailing. Um, and that means that the monkeys inside my head can stop running around screaming. It's good. Um, but we talked about it and we said, we're pretty happy that we know like what's the best way we're not coming out of covid like a lot of places are actually going into new lockdowns but we are starting to understand the beast we are starting to understand okay this is how this is going to go and this is how i personally react to it and this is how my spouse needs me to act for her to feel safe or for him to feel safe and you know we know about lockdowns and quarantines when you come back from somewhere and traveling and masks and like we're way more aware now of what it was so spartan will be restarting doing all of its uh uh schedule for the year um we'll be starting to sell that like now this week today um and it, it's going to have a little bit of a different face, though. One of the things that Spartan has always struggled with is that we do this massive Atlantic loop each year. Basically, the way the company started out, <clears throat> um, we started doing a transatlantic, which uh, we developed called the Marconi. Actually, um, my partner, Kathy, developed that uh, uh, event, and that's been very, very good. Guglielmo Marconi first sent his first wireless telegraphy broadcast from... Um, just, just near Falmouth in the UK. And he sent it across to Newfoundland to the Cabot Tower there in St. John's up on the hill. And that was the first transmission of a wireless signal. Now, personally, <laughs> having read quite a lot about it, there's a couple of interesting things about that story. You ready for a tangent? So firstly, recently, Guglielmo Marconi has been sort of struck off as the uh, inventor of, of wireless telegraphy because everything he did relied on so many patents from Nikola Tesla, <laughs> that the decision now is actually Nikola Tesla invented wireless telegraphy. So 
Okay, we knew he was good, but he was even better than we thought. The thing for me, I'm like, I'm always a bit suspicious with this stuff, but the first ever signal ever heard via wireless telegraphy was an S, which as we all know is dit, dit, dit. Now, if you've got any experience listening to radios, you'll know that all sorts of solar radiation and natural background radiation creates all kinds of um, pops and squawks and, 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 and rumbles and twitters in the, in the ether. If you've got uh, some kind of equipment that's going to allow you to listen to what's going on electromagnetically, you're probably going to pick up some pretty... <laughs> you're probably going to pick up quite a lot of stuff that sounds like beep, beep, beep. So if you were, you know getting to the end of your funding, not that I'm suspicious or jaded or twisted or anything, but if you're getting towards the end of your funding, you're trying to prove that this thing is working, the <laughs> the perfect signal to try and pick up would be dit, dit, dit. I guess dit would be a little bit too easy. E would be a little bit too easy. So he went with dit, dit, dit. Like, that's a thing. Why don't you go for like C? What's that? Dit, da, dit, da. And then, uh, you know, then we'd have known that he really heard something. And it was just him, googly, old googly ammo with his earphones on up in the tower there in Newfoundland, like no one else is listening. No one else is listening. Oh, Googly Ammo heard it. He heard S. Well done, Googly Ammo. You're, you're the guy. So <laughs> clearly they did invent it uh, and make it into something that was even more spectacular later on. But I always got my suspicions. Old Googly Ammo there up in the tower. I think he was just like, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, sure. I heard it. I heard it. But anyway, the Marco, <laughs> the Marco end of tangent, the Goog the, uh, the Googly Ammo, no, the Marconi uh, transat that um, Kathy put together, that was uh, to kind of um, recognize this, you know, whatever it was, it was the beginning of it. It did develop into wireless telegraphy. It's an awesome story. And then we discovered that literally from the, the, the entranceway into St. John's in Newfoundland, which if you've ever been in is fantastic, like almost like fjord, like, like Norway, um, from there to just offshore of, uh, the lizard lighthouse at Falmouth, pretty much exactly where that signal was sent from is exactly 1,901 nautical miles. And that signal was first sent, or was it, in 1901. So it all kind of like fit together. So we've been doing the Marconi Transat for five years now. We've had like 55 people uh, join us and do it. I think the quickest we've done it is, oh, somebody tell me if I'm wrong. I think we've done it in eight days and nine hours. When you leave from St. John's, Newfoundland, it's literally the shortest distance across the Atlantic. And we normally do it towards the end of the year. So there's quite a lot of wind blowing. So we've had some really quick um, burns across there. We've had a couple of a bit slower as well. We've taken up to 13 days doing it and had to dip into Ireland to avoid storms. And it's an exciting thing to get involved in. But it's um, if, if the wind's in the right direction, man, it's a quick burst across there. So Where's this all coming from? Spartan is restarting, and we're going to do the uh, the Regatta del Sol al Sol in St. Petersburg in Mexico. And then the boats are going to go from Mexico to Miami as a short little trip called the um, Mexico Flyer. And that's going to be an opportunity for people to jump on board and see what's going on uh, on board an offshore race boat. You're not going to be very far off land, so we don't really have to worry too much about, um, you know, uh, if it, you're going to get freaked out, you're going to be in the, in the, what's that called? In the, in just in the, the Gulf there inside the panhandle of, uh, of Florida. So it's going to be relatively kind of, uh, um, steady conditions. It certainly shouldn't be anything that makes anybody worried. And the price is not too high either. It's, uh, it's, a uh, uh, one of the cheaper events that we do. It's just over a thousand bucks. So we're going to do that one. We're going to go into Miami next stop. We're going to go from Miami and we're going to go up to Boston. 
And normally what we do is we go from uh, like the south and we end up in Canada. But I realized if we keep it inside the US, you can literally drive or fly or whatever it is you need to do, get down to Miami and then we'll go up the coast, like kind of probably inside the, the Gulf Stream is actually like 70 miles offshore, but we'll be, you know, just inside or just outside the Gulf Stream, but in that kind of region of the, the world, up the Gulf Stream, what we call the Gulf Stream Flyer. And that then we'll go up to Boston because Boston's got huge amounts of history. I just went in there recently with um, my friend AJ and his wife Jess and their fantastic Formula 40 Triumaran Spirit. Um, and I did not realize the entranceway to Boston is awesome. And uh, I was just talking about it the other day when I did that Joshua Slocum podcast, starting to read his book, Sailing Alone Around the World. He came out of Boston. He knew that area. There's so much heritage there. So I thought if we go up the coast of the US, then you can drive or fly or whatever it is down to Florida, get on the boat and then get off and you're still inside the continental US. So looking forward to that one. That's the Gulfstream flyer. And then we'll take the boats back to Nova Scotia. I'm not going to have anybody on board for the trip back to Nova Scotia because I want to be able to stay in uh, Boston for a little while. I've got a couple friends who are involved in venture capital, people that are involved in um, developing management skills and training. And I'd love to do some of that work uh, with the boats, um, uh, at least give people the opportunity to see what that might be like inside of Boston or inside that region, getting people out on boats and doing management training courses, communication, all those things that we know that sailing is really, really good for, um, that'd be great to, to, to hook up and, and do that a little bit. So I'm going to keep the schedule a little open there. But then when we get into the summer, in the summer, things get interesting. We've got a couple of events which um, we've done before. But then lots of new ones that we've never done before. So we've got the Screech, the Newfoundland Screech, which goes from Nova Scotia up to Newfoundland and goes via Saint-Pierre-Michelon, which is a little French island uh, just between um, Nova Scotia and, and, uh, and Newfoundland. It's a little slice of um, of Europe, and it's literally like 11 or 12 kilometers off the coast of Newfoundland. It's the, the craziest thing and an awesome place to go to. I've been there many times, and I really, really... Uh, uh, think if you, if you haven't done it, it's good to do it. It's great to be standing on French soil and looking across at North America. It's the, the, the strangest thing. But um, yeah, we go to uh, Saint-Pierre-Miquelon, we go up to Newfoundland. And then after that, we go out uh, across the Atlantic on the Marconi, the older Guglielmo, did he cheat or not? The Guglielmo Trail. Uh, over to the UK. When we get to the UK, everything has been timed so far so that we get to the UK to go and do the Fastnet. The Fastnet is on this year, uh, coming on the, on the, on 2021. Um, I am pretty certain that the Royal Ocean Racing Club, uh, if anybody is going to be able to put on regattas with the level of um, coordination, safety, and and kind of trust that everyone needs to be able to do that, I think it's the Royal Ocean Racing Club. Um, They've been putting a lot of effort and time into trying to work out how to do this. And I'm sure by the time we get to August of next year, they'll have got it down pat. To give you an idea, like in terms of going on board the boat and trying to keep everything as safe as uh, humanly possible, the things that we've brought into place is there's going to be um, 10 days between each of our events. And that will give us time um, to completely strip the boat, basically, and disinfect the boat. We've got um, uh, actually somebody I, I met through um, doing the podcast and his company does this incredible like spray down system, which they're using on all sorts of uh, workplaces. So we spray the whole boat down. Um, our crew will have 10 days off for rest and relaxation, but they're going to stay with the boat basically quarantined and then they will not be uh, getting anything from anywhere else. 
Um, then when people come on board, what we're going to do this time is we're going to do five days of training. So five days of training means that by the time we've had 10 days of the boat being um, on the, uh, you know, tied up between events, and then we've got five days of training, our crew will have definitely uh, shown any kind of um, symptoms they may have of anything, and the boat itself should have been disinfected. Anything that's inside the boat will definitely have died, right? So we've got a, quite a clean situation there. We're asking anybody that comes and joins the boat to um, do a COVID test and uh, that to be a minimum of four days before they leave. So you can't have like two week old tests that you've done. It's sorry, a, a maximum, a maximum of four days, not a minimum, <laughs> a maximum of four days before they come so that we should be just getting that result as they are literally getting onto the plane. Then use all of the um, safety uh equipment and the PPE and the, and the COVID restrictions and the social distancing and that stuff to travel safely, which I've done that a number of times now. And the, the planes and that, they're not messing around. Everybody's got to wear a mask. Most of the planes, it's a, a seat in between each passenger is empty. So give you some more space. They hand out gloves, they hand out alcohol. I think that bit of it is very, very safe. It's up to you to keep your mask on. Um, once you arrive at the boat, we've got this five days of training before we go. And we've got uh, as much training as we can coming our way from Praxis here in uh, in Halifax on how to potentially deal and recognize with the onset of these symptoms. Everything that we're going to do this summer, apart from the uh, Marconi, is all coastal. So we get to the UK. We do the Fastnet race. Uh, at the moment, I can tell you that we are literally opening the doors for this uh, this new season right now. So if you are interested... We're going to just sell off uh, the Pride of Nova Scotia to start with. It only has eight bunks on board. Well, it only has eight berths on board. It has six bunks, but it only has room for eight uh, people on board. So places will be limited for that, but um, it should be awesome. It's going to be a really fun boat to sail on. It's going to be a really fun boat to take in and compete with. But also, personally, I really like it as a voyaging boat. It's got a nice deep cockpit. It, it moves along nicely, even with limited sail up. It's very, very safe, as we say. The inside is very easy to uh, navigate and traverse. And it's got a toilet. <laughs> what luxury is this? It has a toilet and an open 60. So um, we'll do that. If things start going well and we're selling more stuff, then we'll get um, Challenger into the mix and we'll get her on the water. And then that provides us with another 14 places so uh initial places for going on falcon very limited but after the fast net this is the bit i guess i've been trying to rush along to i'm getting excited normally what we would do then is go south to uh either malta and go to the middle sea race or south directly to the canary islands getting ready to cross the atlantic at the end of the year and end up in the caribbean that is the big loop that spartan has been doing for five years it's super stressful on me because the boats are always like way, way, way too far away. Another point is that we live here in Nova Scotia and yet almost nobody knows that we're here because for five years, the boats are constantly out of Canadian waters. Like it's no wonder that no local companies were ready to jump in and help out with the sponsorship of this event. Cause they're like, who are these guys? Like what's going on? So being in and around Nova Scotia and uh, the Canadian Atlantic provinces more is definitely something I'm very keen to do. So what I said to Sitzka was instead of going South and instead of doing the arc and all that stuff again, why don't we do something different? I talked to Andy Shell, who's got the fantastic on the wind podcast. If you haven't listened to that, it's definitely worth a look. His website is 59north.com and uh, find out about uh, what he's up to. Um, and uh, 
they go north. They go high latitude sailing, and it is so gorgeous. The pictures that come back from their escapades up there, same as Rubicon 3, the UK charter company that goes up that way, same as my friend John Harry's here who has the Attainable Adventure Cruising website, which again is well worth a look if you're interested in seamanship and, and details on and a fantastic blog that Phyllis and John write, the attainableadventurecruising.com. They all go high latitude. So I was like, right, I'm getting some of that. So we're going to lose, uh, we're going to lose, we're going to lose the UK. We're going to, we're going to leave the UK, in fact, and then we're going to go up to Norway. I've been talking about going to Norway for a few different things. It seems to be on my mind a lot. So Norway and fjords. I want to get a bit of fjord time. I've never been in a fjord. I think it's time to go and check that out. So after Norway, we're going to go to the Faroe Islands. Do you know where those are? I had to look it up as well. They're basically directly north of the UK. Now, as we've discussed before, the UK looks like a witch riding a pig chasing a koala bear. So I don't know what the Faroe Islands are in that map. Mistletoe above the witch riding a pig chasing a koala bear. Is this a thing? No. But the Faroe Islands out there, basically between Norway and Iceland in the um, uh, Norwegian Sea and uh, beautiful coastal, big cliffs, very interesting culture. And I'm very interested to get out there and find out more about that. So Faroe Islands and then Iceland. We're going to go to Iceland. We're going to take the boat up and around, arching over a much more northerly route than we normally do and go to Iceland. After Iceland, we then come back down, heading back down towards um, Canada, and we're going to visit the tip of Greenland. Now, can you tell at any point during this that I might have been watching The Secret Life of Walter Mitty recently? If you haven't seen that film, you're super missing out. It's a fantastic film. It's a feel-good film. It's Ben Stiller at his best. It's it's not really funny, although it's got a couple of funny bits in it, but um, yeah, watch it. But if you, <laughs> if you watch it, you're going to want to go to Iceland and Greenland as well because it gives a fantastic job of um, portraying those countries. So now we're going there. So we're going to go to Norway, Faroe Islands, Iceland, Greenland, and then back down to Labrador and snake our way to Nova Scotia. So those things are going on to the um, Spartan website this week. If you want to talk more to myself or to Sitsko about them, email me at info at spartanoceanracing.com. Um, you get the jump on everybody else if you do that. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be a fun year. It's, it's, it's been one of those weird things of like, uh, like stay down, stay down. It's like, uh, I remember Eddie Izzard, a British comedian, he does a, um, uh, a skit all about the toast. The fact that the perfect amount that toast should be cooked is one and a half times pushing the button down. So you put it down once and then you know, oh, it's not quite enough. So you press the button down again, but then you have to remember to stay very, very focused because you don't want two times cooking because then it's going to be burnt. You want one and a half times cooking. So Eddie Izzard's sketch is all about the fact that the toast is inside the toaster, like stay down, stay down, waits until you leave the room and then just burns itself to pieces. So it's a Spartan. <laughs> Spartan has been a bit like that in the last um, year. It's been a case of just stay and wait and wait and see what's happening with COVID. And I'm seeing regattas happening and then not happening. And then I'm seeing companies, they're going to do a load of stuff and then they're not doing a load of stuff. And then some, fortunately, some of the companies have gone completely out of business. And it's just been a case of just hurry up and wait and wait and find out and see what's going to happen. So I think now as we go into the middle of November, although it is definitely not a case that we are past all of this. We've still got a long road to go. I heard just yesterday that now have a million cases of 
COVID in Texas, in the state of Texas alone, which is like jupers. So the UK had just announced figures that they've had 71,000 um, ex extra deaths beyond their five-year average. So I realize that where you may be right now, this is uh, very much at the forefront of your mind. It's very much a reality of what's going on. But I will say this. We have been in this long enough now that we know roughly what's going on. Man is a fantastic, adaptable creature and women are even better. So what we should be able to do now is we should be able to adapt to this. And if we need to do precautions, we can do precautions. We need to do lockdown. Okay, let's just grind and get through that. We just have to see where this is going to go. We know the vaccines are coming. We know how to keep ourselves safe. We just have to just get through this a little bit further. But I think that as we go into um, 2021, this will become something that we understand, we can deal with, and then we can start to plan our lives around it. And so for me, as a business owner, looking at that, it's a case of, right, okay, I can take the risk to go and travel. I can take the risk to hire people and put them in front of the public and make sure that's all safe. I can take the risk of, you know, what events we're going to do. You'll notice that in this now, apart from the... Um, the Regatta del Sol al Sol, which we are very much connected with what's going on there, the group that we're connected to, it's uh, something which has uh, come over from 2020. So we're in good communications. If it doesn't run at all, that group is part of the club. They'll know what's happening. And that's a, that's a contained unit on its own. Apart from the Regatta del Sol al Sol, whether it runs or doesn't run, the only event that we're doing, which is somebody else's management, is the Fastnet race. And I have a lot of faith in the Rourke uh, High Command uh, that they will make good choices and get people out on the water for this incredible uh, race, you know, a very, very famous race. Everything else, we're just going to do it ourselves and then we can manage it ourselves and then we can limit the the, the chances of being um, uh, pushed back by uh, other other forces, that's what's happened, right? And you talk about it in our contracts, like this basically all ended up coming under force majeure, right? It's just this unbelievable, unexpected thing that's uh, come around the corner and sideswiped all of us. But um, yeah, 2021, getting going with Spartan. So if you fancy uh, coming up from Mexico on the boat and going to Miami, if you fancy going up the US coast to Boston, that's gonna be a cool one. Um, if you fancy going from Nova Scotia to Newfoundland or across the Atlantic in the tracks of... Uh, our man Guglielmo. If you fancy the Fastnet race, or if you want to take a trip up the English Channel into the North Sea and into the fjords of um, Norway, um, isn't there a Monty Python sketch about? Oh, that's the Norwegian blue. Do you remember that one with the um, the parrot? This parrot's dead. He shuffled off the mortal coil, and wasn't he? What he was pining, pining for the fjords. Yes, if you're pining for the fjords. Then, uh, <laughs> then give us a, drop us a line or give us a call or something, and uh, we'll, we'll get you sorted out. And then we're going to go to the Faroe Islands, which um, I have indicated is uh, mistletoe hanging over a witch riding a pig chasing a koala. Honestly, like, there's a lot of coffee involved in making these shows, but no other chemicals. Uh, the witch riding a pig thing, like, that's old school. Everyone knows that, right? If you, the, the, the koala bear that it's chasing, okay, I do admit that I added that in there. And I do also admit the mistletoe thing might be a bit too much. But the uh, the general principle is that it's uh, directly north of the UK and then over to Iceland in the tracks of Walter Mitty, over to Greenland, which seems to have nothing written on the chart. So I just say we go there with some signposts, just bang in some 
bang in some signs, just name some stuff like whatever you want, and then we'll be coming back down. And it'll either be Labrador or Newfoundland. We'll decide uh, where we where we want to go with that one towards the end of the year. And then Challenger will stay in Nova Scotia. And I have some news that I really, really want to share with you about the Ocean Globe race. I'm not going to say too much more, <laughs> but if you want to go to the group which surrounds that on Facebook, it's called the Offshore Sailors Group. Uh, my podcast kind of get uh, a little bit of an outing there. We're chatting about offshore sailing stuff. Um, and that is where if you're interested in what Spartan's doing with the Ocean Globe Race in 2023, sailing around the world, an opportunity for you to pay money and get on a boat and have an incredible uh, experience. It's not cheap, but it's not any more expensive than else in the market. Go to the Offshore sailors page on facebook and join the conversation there and find out what's going on i'm not going to say any more than that right now because we've got some things that we need to wait on before we can officially announce it but god there's enough hints in that i think you can probably guess what's going on right what else is on my list here on the back of my envelope uh the vendee globe so the vendee globe is on at the moment um i want to we'll talk about the vendee globe a little bit um there's a lot going on. It's very exciting out on the water at the moment in the real fleet. But let's just in this one, uh, are you guys playing the uh, Vendee Globe Virtual Regatta? The Virtual Regatta is a phone app. It's a game that you play on your phone. And uh, it's awesome. Like you can you can just play it for free and be competitive if you're willing to put in the legwork and wake up and do sail changes and things. For a small amount of money, you can do all like automatic sail changes and get access to some really cool routing. Or if you're a complete nerd, <coughs> like I am, um, you can pay a little bit more and then get more routing options and more widgets and digits and all the rest of the sort of stuff. So at the moment, I, I should have, oh, here we go. My organization is um, awful as always. Let's, uh, I, I shall open the app now. It's on the front page of my phone. If you're playing this uh, game, you'll uh, you'll recognize the music pretty uh, quickly. I'll tell you where I'm at. So there's 820,000 people. Oh, here it comes. You recognize that music? Yeah. Oh, there's 847,000 people playing right now. I am 50,000th. Jesus. <laughs> okay, so to give you an idea, three days ago, I was under 10,000th. So there's been a lot of changes. Basically... Um, in the actual fleet that's out on the water in the Vendee Globe, everyone's heading to pretty much where we'd expect them to be as they go through the intertropical convergence zone. Um, they're all picking a point. It's about 30, 35 to 40 degrees west, um, and that's a very normal place to go through. It's got these wonderful... When you open the app, listen to this. Oh, yeah, how good is that? That's just like being out there, but I'm dry. Um it, it shows this like 3D boat and you've got all these different camera angles. And uh, so my little boat at the moment is doing 16.3 knots. Got a pretty nice, uh, pretty nice heading. I'm just drifting back. I'm pretty much exactly on the rum line. I've just, I'm just approaching 10 degrees north and I could do a little bit of rigging. I am in a, a big pack of boats, which is looking pretty competitive to me. What's been interesting is the fact that the, the supposed leaders of this, because of the way that you do the, um, uh, how you calculate distance to finish in this kind of race, the actual line that the computer is um, judging people's distance from finish on, uh, it really favors anybody who is uh, to the east of that line. Because at the moment, the what's happening with the line is that the rum line comes out of France, arches through the Canaries, and then it starts to head towards the west side of the South Atlantic because you've got to make your way around the St. Helena High. 
but because it's measuring the distance to a finish point, which it sees as being far to the east, any boats which are to the east right now are showing as being leaders. So I've just clicked on the person who's second, who is called, uh, ooh, this look, guy looks nice. He's going, Lucullus. How do you spell it? L-U-C-U-L-U-S. Lucullus. Okay. Well, he is uh, second in the Vonnegut Glow right now. Well done, Lucullus. But I suspect he's about to lose it horribly because if you were to... <laughs> he is just off of Guinea. He's heading for Sierra Leone and he must be literally dodging swimmers in the water. He's probably got his fenders out. He's that close to the coast. So that's not uh, going to last very much longer because um, very quickly <laughs> the app is going to realize, not the app, the normal software that you use on this kind of around the world race is going to realize that he's a long way off the racing line. So I, you know, I think if I had my if I had my wishes, I'd be about nine hours further forward than where I am in the fleet right now. But um, I'm feeling pretty, pretty, pretty happy with this. I do see that Alex Thompson, of course, is out in front. Um, Alex, I think, has got a very good chance of uh, winning the Vendée this time. He's got a fantastic boat. Um, one thing I do know with Alex, like there's always been like chit chat in, in the back of his career. Like he didn't finish any around the world races for a long time. Um it was doing a lot of kind of like uh, social media things and what have you, but they built a fantastic brand out of that. They've done a lot of learning through a lot of boats. And remember that a lot of the French competitors coming up, their their development in it is is somewhat hidden from uh, from English speaking um, viewers. Like Alex has been on the scene in the UK. He's probably one of the premier sailors that the North America would look to if they don't know much about the French sailors. Um, and and his development has been very very like. On, in front of everybody. He's developed up from doing the uh, Velux race in 2006 and then breaking his keelhead and, 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 and losing that boat, although I think they found it a couple of years ago. Um, he, he's gone through a lot of boats. But even if you said that's like 15 years development, that's nothing in Imoka land. It's nothing. And he's, uh, he's now got to a point where he's come, um, where's he come third and second? Third and second, that's right, yeah. And now he's got a good chance of first. And I believe, looking at my little uh, thing here, that he's uh, he's just crossing the, the tenth uh, tenth parallel. Oh no, sorry, beg your pardon. He's crossing the equator. Jeepers! Oh man, he's oh we've got to I got to speed up here. I thought we were heading for the 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 uh, ten degrees uh, north. We were heading for the equator. Good lord! Hey, isn't it great to be able to not know exactly where you are on the water? And it doesn't make any difference. And to be drinking coffee and talking to you guys and not getting wet and shaken around uh, while I'm doing it. So. If you're playing the Vendee Globe uh, virtual app, let me tell you that the best place to be right now is on the rum line going directly south. Do not get lulled into any sense of uh, going anywhere other than directly south. So, um, yeah, I'm uh, uh, very much enjoying doing the game. It's just kind of worked its way down from being basically an obsession to being just something I'm interested in. Um, if you want to hear more about it, Ryan and I, Ryan's actually been uh, helping me with uh, Pride of Nova Scotia here the last couple of weeks. And he... Um, he and I were saying we should do a, a podcast uh, just about the Vendée Globe virtual regatta. I'm not sure if anybody's interested in that, but um, again, write to me, csmthemariner at gmail.com. If you're, in if you're interested in that app and you're interested in hearing more about what's going on and what it's like to sail around the world and and do this stuff for real, give us a shout and let's um, let's make it happen. It's, uh, yeah, at, <laughs> the... Um, the best way of doing it, let me tell you, is, is to be sitting in your house and watching it go on a little screen. Being out there, totally different gig. But I'll, I'll give you my uh, input on it if you think that's interesting. Um, 
Okay, so Vande Globe, yeah, and I, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about the the Vande Globe on uh, on other ones. It's going on now. Obviously, we're we're early days still. Yeah, we're inside really uh, the first first week or just outside the first week of it. Um, we uh, we have a long race to go. Uh, the first big tactical decision is the equator. Um, I think we'll see some uh, some interesting changes in the leaderboard there. Um, but there's already some stories to talk about. Maybe we want to go through that. Write and tell me what you want to hear. Okay, so having chatted to you now for 52 minutes, I know my friend Doug Ferrand is out on a dog walk right now. Hi, Doug. How's it going with that dog of yours? Doug and the dog, out on a dog walk. The thing is that the dog gets fitter if my podcasts are longer. When I do the long ones, that poor old dog is wandering around all night. So I, I feel I'm sure like I keep it short just to help the dog out. Um, I got some uh, interesting emails. So let me just uh, use one of these bleeding computers here. Which one does the... Which one's got the email on? Let's have a quick see here. I've, I've received emails over time and I have been doing a lot of kind of like very uh, formulated um, formulated shows which have involved, you know, being able to uh, present particular things, but we haven't just been able to chat. So what I'm trying to do now <laughs> in the background, like really subtly while I'm doing this is I'm trying to find emails from folks. Oh yeah, hey, it's here's the guy. Yeah. I think it's Steve Nordyke. He's the guy. Yeah. Hey, Steve. He's down there in uh, he's down there in Fort Lauderdale, isn't he? Yeah. He says uh, he says I lose the organ music in the intro. One, it's killing me, and two, it's not a good look. Just my opinion. Hmm. We'll see. <laughs> I can tell you're not a fan of the Hammond organ there, uh, Steve. But uh, but thanks for writing to me, man. What did he say? Uh, oh, he was enjoying the, the sale repair uh, story. And he wants to hear about the evolution of sale design. This is uh, probably the most requested one after reading books. So, um, yeah, I can do one about sales. I will say now I can only tell you what I know. And it's a vastly wide and vastly deep subject. But let's we could start, couldn't we? And then I'll get as far as I can. And then if I start getting stuck, then we'll and we need some more info, then I'll just go and find someone. We're actually here in Lunenburg, got a guy called Sandy McMillan. Um, he runs the North Loft here in Lunenburg. And interestingly, that North Loft in uh, Lunenburg is the oldest, it's the oldest sail loft in North America. Now, I, I think I'm right in that. If you know one that's older, I'd be very interested to hear. But uh, it's super duper old. And doing an interview with Sandy would actually be awesome. And I bet that he could, um, he's a, I think he had a podium in an Olympics, Sandy. I have to, I'm just being to be a little bit cautious about that. I have a feeling he was silver, silver medalist in the Olympics for Canada. Hmm. We should go and meet him and find out about that. And he'd be able to give us more info on sail design. But I'm very happy to do a podcast on uh, sail design uh, coming soon. Um, we could do it next week. That's not an issue at all. We're going to be doing things like the gear review. We've got the, uh, oh, yeah, I was talking about that earlier on, wasn't I? The, <laughs> the A gear. I looked that up. That was on my, on my page here. You know what I found out? A gear isn't like anything. It's, they just literally, oh God, I'm using the wrong bloody mouse again. This is, it's a disaster. Like I thought I was going to double my efficiency. I think I've like quartered it. Okay. So A gear, anglicized as A gear, Old Norse, it means C. <sighs> Ellie Hansen. I see what they've done there. It's a bit like when IKEA name bookshelves things that you can't pronounce. And then when you're ordering it, you know, a bicycle could turn up and you wouldn't know if it was the thing you ordered or not because the names are so complex unless you're from the country of origin. A gear. Okay, it's A E with them like connected together. 
Oh, actually, look, it's also a divine personification of the sea in North Norse mythology. Oh, that's getting better. Portrayed as a Jotun, Aegir is also a frequent host of the Aesir in the poetic... I don't know what's going on. I don't understand what these words are. But, okay, so it's Ran and Aegir. Okay. Oh, Aegir. Aegir. You have to pronounce it Aegir. Oh, my God. Well, we're learning as we go on here. I'm just going to... Sometimes I don't like the computer. Sometimes I don't like the internet. just want to go back to wood and tallow and brass and things I can understand. All right, so it's Aegir. Well, that makes all the difference, doesn't it? So I'm going to... This is a good start for a gear review. I don't know how to say the word that of the stuff that I'm reviewing. But you know what? It's a fantastic piece of equipment. Let's not lose the, lose the thread on that one. I've had the great opportunity to be sponsored by Heli Hansen for a year now. And uh, they sent me their latest gear with this project of going west around the world. It's absolutely going to be used for that. It's not a problem at all. We're going to work up to actually setting off next uh, autumn, as we discussed. Um, the eye gear, as I've just discovered, is an awesome offshore jacket set and, and pants and jacket set from Heli Hansen. So I'm going to be uh, getting down on those. And as I always do, I'll, you know, I'll be talking about the history of oil skins and foul weather gear and uh, the technology and the materials and that sort of stuff. So we really understand what it is that you're putting on, because let's not forget these things. Uh, however you pronounce them, have got a big price ticket on them. So if you're going to choose to get into an offshore jacket, then we want to know what it is. But I've I've got myself lost again, haven't I? Okay, so we are. <laughs> what are we talking about? Yes, I got emails. So I got an email from Steve Nordyke that yeah made me cry because he didn't like the music, but I did get some other ones as well. And uh, one of the other ones I got was from PJ, and uh, PJ is uh, Philippe. He has a website called um, PJ Sales. So uh, PJ is uh, is Philippe Philippe Jamot. I hope I'm saying that right, Philippe. He did the Clipper race in the Southern Atlantic, and then he, oh, he won! He won a single-handed Trans-Pacific yacht race. Awesome! Wow. Um, but he's got a couple of things that he asked me. Here. He says, number one, he says I've never experienced more than thirty-five knots in the accompanying sea state. Um, you know what's what's that like? I think is the implied question there. Um, I do I do get this a lot. People. People kind of uh, ask sailors first. I think I was mentioning this in the podcast with Ryan. Um, they they are always ask you the question: Have you had any bad experiences? <laughs> like, like straight up off the cuff, like, "Oh, I'm a sailor. Oh, have you had any bad experiences?" And I think I said to Ryan, "It'd be like getting in the back of a taxi and then first thing, or an Uber, and then saying to the taxi driver first things like, "Have you had any crashes?" Um, bad weather is uh, first thing is like, how often does bad weather happen? Like, how how worried should we? How worried should we be about this? Um, I, I describe weather in, in, in these four kind of categories. You've got the lower 10. 10% of your time at sea is going to be storms and bad weather and a nasty situation. Okay, so the lower 10 is the lower 10% of time spent at sea. So in my logbook, I can just put L10. Okay, that's the weather. It's crappy, horrible, stormy. L4, L40, sorry. L40 is the lower 40. 40% of your time at sea is going to be wet, nasty, maybe a bit too windy, sloppy seas, kind of horrible, not not fantastic. But if you've got the right gear, like your eye gear from Heli Hansen, um, you're going to be completely fine. You're going to have a cup of tea. You're going to chat to your mates or you're going to chat to yourself or whatever it is that you do on those occasions. You hunker down in your gear. And if you've got any smarts at all, you get the autopilot on, go inside and um, and and shelter away from it. That's the lower 40 
the upper 40 is 40% of your time at sea is going to be in really quite nice weather, like fantastic weather, what they call champagne sailing. You've got the wind at a nice angle, the seas are flat, there's those little jewels in the tops of the waves, the sunlight glinting off them, and your best girl by your side, you'll sing, sing, oh, I'm a lumberjacket. No, you'll be having a great time, though. You'll be enjoying what you're doing on the boat, and that is what we all want to have. That's the U, 40 in the log, the upper 40. It's great. It's fantastic. U, 10 is the other place you don't want to go, which is 10% of your time at sea. You're going to be uh, becalmed. It's going to be slatting sails and a rocking boat and hope to God that there's uh, not too many waves and it's going to be pretty ugly. In that way, you can divide up your time at sea pretty simply and understand what you're likely to get involved in. If you sail, you know, in all sorts of different areas geographically, different times, all that kind of stuff. If you're smart and you're cruising, then you just make sure that you're in the, you know, you don't really mind the lower 40. You don't, you love the upper 40 and you can handle the upper 10 if you need to. You just steer clear of lower, lower 10. So PJ's question is about the lower 10. Like how often do you get it? Well, I think we're getting it more and more right now. I got to say, I think that my experience of being on the water in the last 20 years i think weather systems are getting more fierce i don't think necessarily that there's more of them i think when they come they're more fierce so if you have experience at sea which spans decades um take a rain check kind of just just step way back and have a look at it and and just reacquaint yourself with with what those weather patterns are you you might be running on old information that driving into this uh, storm is not too bad that driving along the edge of a ridge somewhere may not have uh, poor ramifications just double check i think i'm finding that stuff's a lot more serious now and I, I go diving in with a lot more trepidation even though we've got boats that can really handle anything that can be handled by a yacht at sea, um, I, I do go in there with a lot more trepidation. So I'd say to PJ, if you've got a class 40, it's a very capable boat. All the new ones have um, a bulkhead. They've got the crash bulkhead 10% down the uh, the length overall. They've even got another bulkhead, which is normally the division of what would be like the forward cabin on a boat, about 30% of the way back. They've then got another division, which is normally like roughly on the uh, bulkhead, which uh, the companionway passes through between the cockpit and the cabin. So you've got another 30 percent of the boat divided off and then you'll often have 10 percent at the back where the rudders are also uh, cut uh, into a separate section so you've got multiple watertight bulkheads you've got a boat which has got great stability um, you've got a boat that can handle almost anything but do not go diving into things unless you have a really keen awareness of it and the old rule for gribs is um, gribs stands for uh, graphics rendered in binary it's a very light data transfer method of of rendering you know the, the weather uh, in your area. That's why we love to get it through our little Iridium goes or uh, sat phones or whatever, because it's it's light, it's easy to get hold of. But GRIBS also stands for get real, it's bollocks, because at the end of the day, um, the information that you're receiving is only as good as the information that was put into the weather model. There are already a number of weather models. As we know, there's the uh, GFS model, and there's the European Center for Medium Range Weather Forecasting, and there's NOAA, and there's and then is it coming from the Indian Navy or is it coming from the Filipino Coast Guard? And where are these, um, where's this information coming from? What I work on the basis of is that GRIBS can be out by 15, okay? They can be out by 15 hours. They can be out by 15 degrees. They can be out by 15 knots. 
that means up or down. So you could have a 30 degree variation in where the wind actually ends up coming from in your local spot. Although overall, it may be pretty accurate. Your local spot could be 15 degrees north or 50 degrees south of what they said. So 30 degree range. It could be uh, 15 hours later than they said or 15 hours earlier. So don't be like, well, we'll get ready for the storm after dinner. Get ready for it now. And then most worryingly, it can be 15 knots over or 15 knots under. So if you're going into an area where you're like, well, there should be 10 knots there. Yeah, you could find patches where there's nothing. If you're going in somewhere that's 45 knots or let's say PJs, he says 35 knots, you could be going in somewhere there's 50 knots and then the gusts are going to be 40% beyond that. So then you've got 70 knot gusts. So grips is something which we should... Firstly, you've got to learn as much as you can about meteorology. That's um, something which, uh, you know, I still take myself to task on. I think I've got lots more to learn in that area. But you've got to do what you can to learn as much information uh, as you can about how to interpret the weather information you get, how to apply it to the sailing that you're doing, but then recognizing that this is not a video game like the Vendee Globe um, uh, virtual regatta game that I've still got playing on my screen here. I have not gone any further forward i'm still in 49,000th position um the uh the way that that will be portrayed it, it won't have any holes it won't have any squalls it won't have any vagaries the, the little electronic boat is just going to drive through the electronic weather and it's just gonna do whatever the weather says but weather's not like that so what is it like to be in the lower 10 and things start going wrong well <clears throat> i guess the thing is uh how it comes on you is is really important if you uh, are in a system which is slowly developing, the, the glass is slowly dropping, the barometer is slowly dropping over time, it's going to be a long time coming. That means there's going to be a long time going. So you've probably got a major system that's going to come over the top of you. Pressure is going to dip below a thousand millibars and you're going to be in something which you're going to start detecting bigger and bigger waves. But as they come to you, they're probably going to be quite mature. The system's going to be coming over you. The waves will have quite a um, standard... Uh, understandable pattern and as you start to get into the edges of the storm you'll be able to start to work out tactics for dealing with the wave angles and everything else like you don't want to be going into a big weather system but at least the waves part of it is quite easy to understand the one which I don't like is when you get a system that's moving very, very quickly, it's coming into your area or it's developing in your area and the waves are super mixed up and, and nasty. You can get this where you've got an old system and there's another system coming in, even though the new system coming in is mature, it has to interact with what's left over from the old system and then you can get a lot of weird claptiotic uh, waves, like little pyramid waves where they're all slapping together and making a mess of... Well, claptiotic waves are actually where they've gone around an island, isn't it? But where you've got interactions between troughs and uh, peaks and and you've got very confused weather. Um, but it's new swell, new swell, new um, wind developing in your area. The waves are all jumbled up and, 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 and they're a mess. And um, what do you do in that situation? Somebody wrote to me recently. Who was that and how was that? It's the problem, hey? Like, if you want to communicate with me, write to me at csmthemariner at gmail.com. And that's like, it keeps it all in one place. People communicate with me in the most wonderful ways through uh, Messenger and on Facebook and commenting on things and YouTube videos. And, I, uh, you know, as I've said before, it's like my administration team is made up of uh, monkeys. So it's, uh, that's to say that the one inside my head. <laughs> and uh, I get confused. But someone was saying, they said down their yacht club, the big discussion was whether it's better to have a fast boat or a solid boat that can go through anything. 
And uh, I, I think that connects on to uh, Philippe's uh, question, right? Because he's saying, I've got a class 40, uh, big weather. I've never been beyond 35 knots and the, the sea state. What's that about? So if you're in a boat like um, PJ's and you are, uh, you have the option, then speed is your friend. And we can read this in uh, The Long Way Round by Bernard Matussier. And he makes a decision in that to cut Joshua free of the warps and the, the, the sea anchors that he's kind of put out behind himself. I think he's got, has he got car tires behind him or something or big loops of rope or anyway, he realizes that if he doesn't um, cut, it, uh, uh, cut it away, he, the boat's going to be lost. And he, he basically at that moment and through obviously the transmission of this moment in time through his fantastic book, The Long Way Around, we learn that sailing changed direction at that time. Um, big ships that were coming out of Australia and going around Cape Horn and going up to uh, the UK and, and coming from China and they ran before storms. They may be running with just topsails. They may be running with uh, bare poles, but they're running before storms. They're not trying to do anything else other than running before storms. So in terms of sailing history, ships have traditionally run from storms. And then people like our man Joshua Slocum, whose book I've started reading, that's podcast 23, I think, um, that little boat. Now, can he run? Now, he's 36 foot. Like he can barely do eight knots. Um, can he run from a storm? not in anything that makes any kind of sense. And the back of the spray is absolutely square. He's going to get smacked in the back of the uh, uh, of the boat by the, the waves coming along. They're going to take over the, the rudder and start to take over the wheel, essentially, and, and steer the boat wherever they want to go. As the boat heels over with the pressure in the rig, the plan form shape, the shape of the boat underwater is going to change and it's going to start to carve the boat left and right as they go down the waves. We call this bow steering. The bow digs in and starts to set off in a new direction. But a lot of it's caused initially by the boat heeling over because of the pressure in the sails. Think if you're in a kayak and you're just paddling along and then you hold the paddle blades up above your head and you just lift one uh, edge on the uh, on the, the kayak's bottom, then the boat will carve off in that direction that you lifted up the uh the, your, your bum basically right that's how you carve a kayak from side to side the boat would do the same as it's being heeled over going down a wave like particularly when it's surfing down a wave it'll just go off in whatever direction it will turn basically up to windward and that can be uncontrollable and lead into a roll so a little boat cannot run in front of things so then what you're saying is can my little boat effectively break the tradition of big sailing ships you know, it's smaller. It's a different craft. Absolutely. But what I'm going to do is my plan is I'm just going to like, I'm going to just hunker down and I'm just going <laughs> to, just going to ride this out. Like, okay, it's possible with para anchors, with very, very strong Samson posts and things secured at the front. Um, you know, you can use old school stuff like oil going in the water, which is what Slocum uh, used. Um, you can do a lot of things that are going to help you. You can heave two, you can, you can do all sorts of stuff that's going to help that little boat out, but you are already doing something different in an emergency, right? And that's one of the things that's always a little bit nerve-wracking for me and, and professionally is kind of frowned upon. In an emergency, you should do what you know works. Now, what has worked for hundreds of years is running before the storm. If you're saying, well, you know, since the 1960s, I've decided that the parrot anchor is the way to go. Well, that's fine. That's great. But a 50, 60 years of history of doing that thing is a blip in the history of the world. Um, now, to qualify this, people have very successfully sat at parrot anchors. 
If you're in a catamaran, it may be absolutely the way to deal with it. If you've got a lee shore below you, it may be absolutely the way to go. But the question was, as an overall philosophy, should you be running in front of it or should you be heaving uh, to or, or waiting it out and kind of holding position? In terms of the mechanics of the boat and the engineering of the boat, you want to be running in front of the storm because you're going to lower the work, uh, the, the work cycles on the boat. Each wave is going to take longer to get under the boat. Each puff of wind is going to have less pressure because you're running and running and running away from the wind. Um, if you have a boat which can do um, about 10 or 12 knots, then you're looking at a boat that can go at kind of like wave speeds. Waves are doing between 12 and 16 knots in most big weather systems. Um, if you're in a 40-foot boat, you basically don't have this option. So I guess that's where the cutoff point is. If you're in a boat that's fast enough to effectively outrun waves, don't worry about the wind particularly because you ain't going to outrun the wind, but if you've got a boat that can outrun the waves, you should be outrunning the waves if you can. If you have a boat that doesn't outrun the waves, you need to recognize the situation you're in. You're making a particular kind of decision. That's awesome. Um, but it's going to be huge loads on the things that you use to slow yourself down. There's going to be huge water uh, coming uh, over the back of the boat if you're trailing warps or over the front of the boat if you're using a power anchor. And this is a situation that could end up with a, a negative outcome. I guess anything can end up with a negative outcome. But um, for me personally, if I'm in the Southern Ocean uh, or from any, any part of the water, uh, any part of the world's uh, oceans um, and a storm's coming in and I've got open space and I've got a boat with a bit of speed, my first choice early on is to put that wind on whatever quarter is, is most safe, depending if I'm in the North or South Hemisphere, and then uh, get the hell out of the way of it. There is no... Unless you are racing around the world or racing in some big regatta, there is no prestige. There is no benefit. There's no um, glory to be had by by wrestling with some giant storm. This, the sea doesn't care. The wind doesn't care about you. you. You're not even a footnote in the history of the world. It's just it'll plow on, pound you to dust, and that's it. If you have a boat that can outrun it, outrun it, but don't just go straight in front of it as you're going to be in its path forever, right? We know about dealing with storms. We can... Talk about that more if we need to, storm storm tactics. But just carve your way out the out the way of that storm as best you can. If you get into a situation where the mast is down uh, and you really have to um, stay in the storm or if you have a boat that doesn't deal with, uh, that hasn't got the speed to get out of it, you're going to be trailing warps and uh, stay off the deck because it's very likely that you're going to get uh, washed down the deck. If you have to go on the deck, you can rig man ropes, you can double clip yourself on, you stay low, you cat crawl, you hold three points of contact. Just deal with it like it's an extremely serious situation at all times because if that wave does come down the deck unexpectedly when you get pooped because you can't run faster than waves, that is going to be a wall of water that you don't want to deal with. So hoping there's somewhere there's some kind of answer. For me personally, I would always want a boat that can outrun a storm, but if uh, it comes to A lads A and you get stuck, that it's strong enough that it can it can it can bear up. Um, but bear in mind that uh, a wave with a breaking face, which is one third of the width of your boat, can roll most boats unless you have an extremely impressive power to weight ratio like super deep keels on these uh some of the race boats that uh, i go on um one th uh, a break a wave a wave with a breaking height not the entire height of the wave but the breaking bit at the top of it if it's a third or more of the beam of your boat which for most 30 foot boats is only a three foot wave for most 40 foot boats is only a 
uh, you know, four or five foot wave. Um, if it's breaking like that, it has enough weight in it and enough energy in it to, to roll the boat. So, um, yeah, I know I got to say for me personally, I was very interested in the project on the uh, attainable adventure cruising, uh, website. They did a project a couple of years ago called the adventure 40. It was like a turnkey, um, high latitudes cruising boat set up for a couple, but designed to be like really tough and deal with very heavy, uh, sit, uh, situations and conditions. Uh, I don't think it got all the way through to being, uh, built, but, um, it's certainly, you know, when you look at the boats that have to go through that super heavy weather, then you, you start to realize it's a difficult thing. If you can't outrun a storm, like what really have you got? Like you're not going to keep the mast up if you're rolled over. Um, you know, you, it's, it gets tricky really fast. So, um, for me personally, as you know, uh, I am petrified of all boats that are less than 60 feet. So <laughs> not that I'm saying go and buy a 60 foot boat, but, um, you know what? The other thing I'm going to add here is that people, again, they always say, what about, and I guess when I first started going sailing, I wanted to get a boat that I could do everything. And it was like a tank. It was like a, like a Land Rover. And I know I had an experience, a friend and I, a friend and I were going to drive across Europe and across Russia, uh, in a Land Rover. And we were like reading Land Rover international, uh, a magazine and, and really we can do all the stuff to it and we can take these tools and we can make all these modifications. And then the whole plan like fell apart for me when I read one comment in one uh, column one day in the magazine, it said, um, you can, with basic tools, you can fix anything on a Land Rover anywhere in the world but Toyotas don't break down. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. So you can get a 40 foot boat, which is as rugged and as tough and as, ugh, it's just the most amazing like seamanship boat ever. But if you've got speed, you can just get out of the way of stuff or you can make a good effort to get out of the way of stuff. So um, if we're saying that only 10% of the time at sea is rough weather, then, um, you know, that should be something you're trying to avoid. Uh, if you do get caught out, have something that can get out of the way or, Pray, I think is the other one, right? I've got another uh, email here, which I wanted to uh, read. If you're expecting like structured uh, podcast this time, I think you're, uh, <laughs> you might have lost out on that one. Now we have to get one from Barrow. Here we go. Right. So he's written a lovely long email. Uh, I hope I get your name right. It's B-E-I-R-O. So I call that like Barrow. Barrow. He's in uh, Vigo in Spain. I was in Vigo actually in January this year. Um, he says, uh, <clears throat> he says that he's in love with sailing in the sea, uh, and he's got himself a 26 foot day sailor. Uh, he's been really enjoying it. It's a real beauty. He says, and, uh, he's done a lot of dinghy sailing and, uh, he's logged about three or 4,000 miles, which is not inconsequential. Like I've got these super big numbers, but bear in mind that, um, the boats I'm on travel very fast. So they rack up miles very, very quickly, you know, three or 4,000 miles of real experience on a small boat that you're operating yourself and everything. That is, uh, that's something to be proud of Barrow. Um, he says, okay. He says, I, I have noticed, however, that there's one thing in sailing as part of a crew. Uh, oh, it's one thing in zero sailing as part of a crew and something else entirely to go out on your own, which is what I want to do now. Unfortunately, he says, a very little confidence in myself and my skills. I had a couple of incidents bringing the boat back into the slip. I'm always worrying that I'm doing the wrong thing or not doing something or that something might break or the engine may fail, let alone anchoring and the rest of it. 
It's easy to feel overwhelmed by the amount of knowledge one must have. Hmm, yeah, good point. Trimming, boat handling, anchoring, meteorology, navigation, regulations, radio, mechanics, and electrics. As a result, he says, man, that's a great email, Barry. Thanks for writing this, man. He says, as a result, I still feel very insecure on the boat every time I go out. And that's why I love listening to the podcast. Oh, okay. Listening to you handling an open 60 at 16 knots in the Southern Nation by yourself puts into perspective. So if you had to tell me one thing to make my life easier when I go out, what would it be? Is there something I should pay particular attention to? Is there something I should absolutely do or not do? Where's the starting point? And then he, oh, cool. And he gives me an offer to come and sail on his boat. No one ever does that, hey? They always think that I'm like, um, that I know something they don't and that I don't want to go, <laughs> don't want to go sailing. No one ever comes up from the yacht club and says, hey, you want to go out sailing this weekend? They always think I'm like involved in like some some big thing when all I'm actually doing is watching Amazon, um, which we can talk about that as well. Some great shows on Amazon at the moment. Anyway, so Vero, hello, mate, firstly, and um, welcome to sailing and uh, good on you for going out. Um, my fondest memories of going sailing when is when I knew absolutely nothing. OK, and I tell you right now, Vero, I have trashed <laughs> so many boats in so many ways okay if there's one thing i'm going to say to you is you got to remain safe okay and we'll discuss that in a second you got to remain safe but just get in there man don't worry what anybody else thinks try not to damage the expensive boats <laughs> if you're going to hit the dock make sure it's just your boat um you know if you're going to uh, uh ha have to have an incident with another boat make sure it's a cheap one there there is if I'm an experienced sailor, Barrow, it's because I've made every mistake there is. I've been high and dry on boats. I've I've smashed boats into jetties. I've fallen down the companionway and knocked myself out. I've uh I've I've taken boats in races into completely the wrong place in the ocean and then ended up being like on national media and you know, oh, he's completely becalmed and the other boats are racing away from him. So I would say first is um like your little boat, you need to have like a, a hard hull on this one. You need to kind of but like, don't worry about it. Like, as long as you're safe, as long as you've got your life jacket on, I'd say that if you, if you want anywhere to, to start from, put a life jacket on, right? 26 foot bow. I can't imagine that there's very high guide, guard, uh, guard wires around it. Um, the, the, the greatest risk at the moment is that you don't have that much experience of moving around on the boat. And that the, the great worry would be is that you get separated from the boat and then, well, you know, that's wet to dead. So stay connected to the boat. Keep your life jacket on at all times and make sure that you've got a knife in your in your in your belt and you've got a, um, a like a knife you can pull out and cut stuff with. Not some foldy, wiggly, multi-tool rubbishness, just a knife that you can get out. Even one of those uh, riggers sets you can get with the old leather thing. That's that's fine. Whatever. Right. Because rope is something which loves to get caught around you and get caught in things. And you need to have a solution to rope problems all the time. And most of the time, the solution to a rope problem is a knife. So have the solution to falling off the boat, which is a life jacket and being tethered to the boat. Have a solution to rope problems, which is um, um, having a knife. Have a solution to quick little fix-it problems, which is like a multi-tool, even if it's a cheap one, something that opens out, it's got some um, plier, plier ends on it so that your fingers, if they can't quite do that split pin or they you know, you can't quite twist that wire, then that's tools available. So you're going to 
you're going to have your life jacket on, you're going to have your tether on, you're going to have these two bits of equipment and make sure you've got some good waterproof clothing. I know you're in Vigo and it's um, it's pretty warm there. And I, uh, mate, I went, uh, I was staying in Vigo and it was oh, so beautiful. I was in the old part of town. Wow, what a city. Um, and some wonderful big boats there. If you go down to the harbor, like the far northern end where it turns around there, I've got a friend called uh, Johannes Schwartz who's uh, got four Volvo 70s and they're all sitting in Vigo. So uh, <laughs> go and say hello to Johannes. Great sailor, very, very skillful, really nice guy, wonderful boats. But um, even though you're out on the water in Vigo, it, it's still potentially a situation where you could um, uh, get really, really cold get fatigued and start making bad decisions. Okay. Um, the other thing is make sure you've got lots of water and you've got lots of food like sugars, right? Because then you're curing the problem of like how you've got the sailing knowledge already. You need to be able to use it like as best as possible. And that's going to happen when you've got nice warm body, you've got good sugar in you, you're nicely hydrated. That is you solving the problem of like the machine, your machine, your body machine, not being quite as good as it could be. Solve the problem of falling off the boat life jacket and tether solve the problem of rope going wrong all right so we got all that sorted out next thing the engine failing yeah it may fail that's that may happen okay that's it may happen but I mean, is it likely to happen does it happen very often you know maybe you could like have a little just a quick check of the engine when you go out like okay the fuel's good and the fuel filter's good and the water level's okay if that's something you have to check and uh, the fuel cock is open and the battery's charged and then you could take the problem of is the engine gonna stop and at least you could say i've done everything i can at the moment and then you could start to learn a few little things specifically because the engine is such a great cure-all because the engine can solve like sail based problems if it all gets like oh, oh this is too much just put all the sails down you're connected to the boat you're warm you've got uh got some sugar to eat you put the engine on and you get back to where you're going so you could solve little problems like identify what's the problems that you've got that make you nervous and then like have a solution for them another one is that um have an anchor know roughly what the depth is around you and the chain now 26 foot i'm guessing you probably just got like a 25, 26 foot of chain, and then you've got an anchor and you've got a, a rope that's attached to it. Make sure you know how to deploy that. Make sure it's all secured together and it's secured to the boat. And then if the problem is that you're moving around too much, you can just chuck the anchor over the side, right? You can just stop. And that's the thing that people tend to forget with sailing is that from heaving to anchoring, using the engine, you can just stop the whole problem uh, many times. So if you know the engine's kind of okay, you're nice and warm, you've got your life jacket on, you've got your knife in your pocket, um, you've done your checks on the engine, basically it's going to have to be some like really weird situation where the engine stops. It's going to be outside of your ability at the moment to fix, okay? But it's also outside of most people's ability to fix. And if it's something that's not those basics, it probably most people wouldn't be able to like even work it out anyway. So take that out of the equation. Um, navigation. Everyone says, right, paper charts, paper charts, paper charts. Absolutely. That's a skill set that you need to get going with. Uh, you know, just learn some basics about working out where you are. You're in the bay off Vigo there. I'm sure there's lots of big landmarks to keep your eye on. But an iPhone is uh, independently powered, independent antenna, and it has all of your charts on board. If you've got an iPhone, an iPad, or two iPhones, or an old iPhone from your kid, or something like that, you've got two sources of uh, Navionics charts on, on, a, on a smart device, 
you've got two independent sources of uh, chart information with two separate antennas and two separate power supplies. That was the uh, the uh, rules for big ships in the early 2000s when I did my qualifications with the more um, uh, commercial stuff. If you wanted to have only electronic charts, they had to have independent antennas and independent power supplies. Two iPhones does that. Keep one fully charged, have one of those little extra charger things so you know where you are. So that means that you know now the weather because your phone can probably get that. You've got your navigation sorted out. Awesome. You can call for help. Brilliant. You've got a good understanding where you are and you've got an anchor. Wonderful. You've got a knife to cut things if they go wrong. You're connected to the boat. You're full of water water and sugar and warm. And you, you what you're doing is you're working out, okay, what am I worried about here? And I'm going to try and cover them. Not to the point where sailing becomes a misery, but where you've got the good habits in place. I check the engine before I go. I check the navigation, the depth before I go. I know that the anchor is all ready to go. Even on these race boats where we don't have an anchor hanging off the bow, it, I know where all the parts are and I know that it's ready to go. I know um, uh, the, the the weather for the, for the area that I'm going to be in. I know that I've got my crew on board. I know what their skill level's about. Like I'm just going through before I set off and I'm making sure, have I done everything? Have I done everything? Have I done anything, right? So just get those basics sorted out. And then I guess the last one would be um, see if you go out and sail with other people, okay? But don't choose them based on uh, skill level because you could get some real idiots, yeah? Skill level in sailing does not translate to uh, enthusiasm, love for it, passion for it, ability to teach, good companionship or anything else. Pick people who are awesome, and take them with you on your adventure of being on the boat. And from the very start, uh, say to them, hey, you drive, okay? You you do this, you do that. Even if they don't know anything, you try and teach them a little bit, share what you know, be totally open about what you know and don't know. And hopefully by the end of uh, that um, that uh, process, you'll have a, a number of people that are happy to come onto your boat because you're awesome, the boat's awesome, you have fun, you learn things, you're safe, and then if anything else happens after that, well, that's called sailing. I just did that podcast of um, Joshua Slocum. And in that, right, in that first two chapters, he's coming into port in a boat. Okay, it's 36 foot. It's a bit bigger than your boat, but it's 36 foot. He's bringing it in for the first time solo. He's bringing it down to the dock, like with some of the most experienced sailors in the world. And um, he's going way too fast. There's loads of wind. And only by a fluke, basically, does he manage to get it alongside without damaging anything to the point that even though a cheer goes up and they're all like congratulating him, he doesn't say a word because he's so nervous of revealing to them how short of breath and how anxious he is. So from everybody ever that ever set foot on the sea, it we keep going out there because it's keep it is a challenge all the time. Every time it's a challenge. Anybody's got it totally like stitched up is is lying or they're lying. <laughs> you can have a lot of trips where you go out and nothing goes wrong, but there's always something somewhere that's going to come along and bite you in the ass. And only by experience of having it happen to you, do you recognize it? So I say to you, uh, Barrow, if you're uh, still listening to the podcast, um, get out there, be safe, cover the bases with the things. Um, and then when you're coming to, uh, I can add one other thing here. Uh, we could talk about hoving too and stuff, but let's not get too complicated. When you're coming back into port, there's the dock where you need to end up, right? But sometimes the dock where you need to end up, it's not a very good dock for you to be trying to bring the boat into. 
What you need to get used to with little boats, and they used to do it with big ships, is there's a dock you come into to make your landfall, and then you move to the dock where you're going to be parked, okay? If it's going to be dangerous or potentially damaging or stressing or there's a risk of injury from going into the berth where you need to go because of what's going on, then you need to um, move to a position where you can bring the boat in safely and then you can move it to another berth. That might mean parking next to your neighbor. It might mean getting your fenders out and parking on the boat next to you and then transferring lines to where you go. Or whatever your situation is, find a way of doing the safest thing as a separate uh, gig from parking the boat. And I hope that in that way, you should be able to divide things up into um, a really enjoyable day on the water and feel confident to go out there. And I say my most joyful memories of sailing is going out in a very small boat when I knew almost little, uh, almost little, almost nothing. I wish I'd known little, that would have been better. I knew almost nothing and um, and making mistakes. And, uh, and I'm still making mistakes now. I got to tell you, uh, if you want to feel better, we were parking um, the Pride of Nova Scotia, the 60-foot boat up against the dock the other day. Um, we left the lines on the bow a little bit too loose. We came up to the house to have a cup of tea and went back down. There's a big dent in the back of the boat because we made a mistake. And I've even done a video showing you guys how I parked the boat and everything else, but I made a mistake. And there it is. And now I have to use a, another skill set to go and repair everything. But um, that's okay. That's all right. That's just... Uh, more experience, right? That's what it's all about. Good. Okay. Well, I hope that that's, uh, has proved, uh, interesting. Um, I love doing this one where I just chat. I hope it's not too boring for you. Me, me being silly and sharing my passion for, for sailing. Um, if you've got any comments, you've got any other questions, you've got any other communication you want to make with me, CSM, the Mariner at gmail.com. The, uh, the 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 jury is still out on the uh, <laughs> on the intro music, but I will listen to uh, I will listen to anybody other than that guy from Fort Lauderdale that doesn't like my organ music. But no, if we've got something better, then we'll put it in there. Um, have a listen for the Joshua Slocum thing. That's going to be every week. Um, that was the last one I did. We've got the Hallie Hansen review coming up. Um, I might do another podcast uh, uh, tomorrow specifically about the Vendée Globe and the virtual regatta race. I see there's 800,000 people playing this uh, game. So clearly it's something people are interested in. And it's a fantastic way of interacting with the Vendée Globe. So uh, why not jump in and, and kind of talk through it a little bit and see what's going on. I've got another interview coming up very soon, which is with my mate, um, uh, the wood wooden boat builder guy I was telling you about, Phil Backman. He and I have actually been exchanging emails. We've got it worked out. I'm very keen to make sure I don't mess this up because he won't be in the room with me, but I'm hoping we can talk about that. He's actually, if I don't miss my guess, he's actually in Buzzards Bay, which is exactly where Slocum was in the last part of the story I was reading the other day. So it's all, it's all interconnected. The whole universe is connected somehow. And it's all connected through sailing. Don't we know that? Good. Well, I'm going to leave you there. The sun is streaming through the windows here in Nova Scotia. And um, I'm going to go and do some chores and uh, we'll upload this. And yeah, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I hope that you are safe and sound and enjoying yourself. And uh, we'll get through COVID together. We've got new stuff coming from Spartan next year. It's time to get on the water and it's dark. It's cold. It's awful. It's the worst part of the year. We've got some serious things going on, but We'll turn the corner soon. It's going to be uphill and we'll be back on the water as soon as we possibly can. Until the next time, cheers. <laughs>